Genesis chapter 4 this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and turn there. As we continue in our, our study of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. <laughs> seems, seems like a good place to start. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to read through the first half of the chapter here for this morning and just kind of, kind of walk through it and, and hopefully walk out of here a little more encouraged than you would first expect upon reading this this passage together. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this, The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived, she gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he didn't have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? God said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you're cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment's too great to bear. Since you're banishing me today from the face of the earth and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord replied to him, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. He placed a mark on Cain that whoever found him would not kill him. Cain left the Lord's presence, lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So, So we are in the place, in the biblical narrative, creation has occurred. It was all good, very good perfection. The fall occurs. Adam and Eve sin before God by believing the lie of the serpent that in fact God's word cannot be trusted, that in fact God himself can't be trusted. God's holding out on you. He knows that if you eat that fruit, it's going to be really good for you and he doesn't want to share that with you. And so Adam and Eve make the decision, the choice to commit treason against God rebel against his clear command, and they take and eat the fruit. Now their consequences are immediate. They're removed from the garden. God clothes them with the skin of an animal. And that brings us to chapter 4 when they're outside the garden, and as it begins, it seems like everyday normal kind of stuff. In fact, the beginning of chapter 4 is somewhat encouraging because you, you have this birth of a child 
Adam and Eve conceive and have a child, and there's got to be some level of enthusiasm and excitement for them that, okay, in fact, we are still able to accomplish what God called us to originally. Even though we've sinned against them, we're still able to be fruitful and multiply. And so she gives birth to Cain, she gives birth to Abel, and it just seems like a a normal everyday thing until you get to verse 5 when something happens. It says that God rejected Cain's offering, but accepted Abel's offering. What, what, what happened? Why, why would God choose to accept Abel's offering and yet turn his back on Cain's offering? Well, it's not like Cain was a, 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 a drunk who was a womanizer, and Abel was somebody who vi- uh, visited widows and orphans and cleaned church bathrooms. So it wasn't like there was this, this, this score to be kept. There's a lot of theories as to what happened. I don't think the text gives us a lot of answers, a lot of presumptions that are made. Some believe it's because Abel gave an animal sacrifice while Cain gave produce. Text doesn't say that. Some believe it's the extra words with Abel's sacrifice. So not only did he give an animal, but it was the firstborn, and he gave the fatted portions, and Cain just gave whatever he had text doesn't say that. I don't think those are bad options. I just think we need to be honest with what the text says. I think we get a clue as to what's going on underneath everything. We get a clue of the undercurrent when you see Cain's reaction to God's rejection of his offering. It's a pretty good signal of the greater problem that's happening in Cain. And and I'll, I'll, (laughs) I'll say it like this. His heart is jacked up. His heart is so messed up because if, if Cain's heart is in the right place and he's bringing an offering to satisfy and please the king of kings, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the, the God of all creation, if his heart is in the right place and he is bringing an offering to please him and that God looks at him and says, Dad, that ain't going to cut it, your response if your heart is in the right place is not being despondent and furious, having your face fall. Your response is one of confession humility and repentance and you go about trying to change it but in this early moment of human history what we see is a demonstration from Cain a common problem in our relationship with God and when I say our I mean our relationship with God we have this selfish arrogance that dares stand in God's presence with our chest puffed out thinking that we are something. You may hit all the right marks. The truth be told, you're hitting those marks selfishly. Isaiah 1 talks about it. Isaiah 1 talks about how the worshipers are following all of the prescriptions of God. They're doing the festivals. They're doing the daily sacrifices, the, the offerings. They're, they're following the prescribed days and doing exactly as God had laid it out, and yet, kind of like you, kind of like us. So we, we go to church, we carry a Bible, we actually open our Bibles during the service instead of being on Facebook. We um, read our Bibles every day, we give generously, we have all those things, so we're hitting our marks. But in Isaiah 1, it says that although they're hitting their marks, he says, when you spread your hands out to pray, God says, I will not even acknowledge you. I will not hear your prayers because your worship about you. 
Your worship is about you. One of the very real dangers of our fallen nature is that we love ourselves so much that even a gift of worship is still done with ourselves in mind. We find ways to try to steal the glory that is meant for God and God alone. He goes on Isaiah 1 and says, what I want you to do is I want you to knock it off. I want you to wash yourself, cleanse yourself, stop doing evil, change your heart. And what's happening in the story of of Cain and Abel, God is saying, Cain, you need to change your heart. You are furious. Your face has fallen because this isn't about me, God says. This is about you. This isn't about Cain celebrating God with a gift. This is about Cain making much of Cain as he gives a gift. And Cain is blinded by his own perceived awesomeness. And he's furious. And God approaches Cain and he pleads with him to address his sin. There's there's something beautiful in this conversation between God and Cain, this this picture of mercy and patience. When God comes to Cain and says, I can tell you where this is headed if you don't make better choices. Cain, this is on you. You've made choices to this point. And what he says to Cain is, you do what's right, and it can still be good. You do what's right in this moment, and it can still be good. But Cain, be careful. Be careful because your sin is crouching at the door and it wants to devour you. It's crouching. The idea is it is ready to attack like a wild cat gets down in its hunches and it's ready to go. And it's, it's hiding. It's not just ready to attack. It's hiding. It's at the door. It's on the other side. It's, it's where if you look at, at the, the hunting patterns of the wild cats in the, in the, in the wilderness, you, you have them hiding behind uh, the, the, the straw, hiding behind the, the tall grasses, watching the prey. And what happens in that moment when, when the lion, now lions, like, so, so we were watching something the other night. The lion is pursuing this deer. It's chasing it around, chasing it around, chasing it around. The deer's exhausted, finally stopped. The lion slinks into the high grasses. And that prey, that animal of prey, just, you can see it breathing heavy, heavy, just look on alert. But after a little while, didn't see the lion anymore. You can actually physically see it relax. Which is exactly what the lion wants to have happen. Because when that, that deer relaxes, the explosive speed and strength of the, the wild cat overpowers it because that prey has become lethargic and oblivious to what's about to happen. God says, be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching. It's ready to attack. And it's hiding. You don't even see it. That's what makes it so dangerous. I mean, if you see a crouching lion, you might have half a chance to get away from it then. You can go a different direction. You can get a few steps ahead of it, but if you're walking and you don't see it at all, you're toast. Sin ducks away and hides from you. It hides from the one person that the one person that hides from best is the person who is most unaware of it. It's the person who's about to be attacked by it. 
God is saying to Cain, Cain, there is sin in you. Don't let your heart relax. Stay alert. There is hope for you. Even though sin is in you, there is hope for you. If you do what is right in this moment, there is hope for you if you address it. There's even grace for you if you deal with it right now. Cain, you got to know, your sin has one desire, and it's to devour you. It wants to destroy you. And that's how sin works. Sin is ready to attack. It's hiding. Its desire is to destroy you. It is relentless. And so God says, Cain, you need to rule over your sin. You need to, to, to make sure that you are so careful of it, that you are paying attention, that you are alert, that you are dealing with it. So how about you with your sin? Are you paying attention to it? Do you have relationships in your life that are relationships of accountability? Now, let me be abundantly clear about what I mean when I say relationships of accountability. I don't mean you get together with somebody once a week and they ask you four prescribed questions. So, how's your marriage? Have you looked at porn this week? Have you been telling the truth all week long? Have you put in an honest day's work every day this week? I'm not talking about that kind of relationship because in those relationships, what happens is you learn to lie. And you learn to lie really well. When I mean, when I say when I mean relationships accountability, I mean, do you have real relationships where people really know you and know you well enough to look at you and go, you are sinning. I can tell. You are living in denial right now of your sin. You are treating your wife horribly. Come here. That's a relationship of accountability. A relationship of accountability is that, is that person who can see you when you are yielding to temptation and doesn't just know you well enough to know that you're yielding to, to, to temptation, but knows you well enough where you have invited them into your life and they are allowed to call you on the carpet when needed. And you're committed to listen to them and change when they do that. Do you have those relationships in your life? This is off the side, just a quick freebie. We emphasize relationships here at Uniontown Bible Church. We have a relational model of ministry. Everything is about relationships. Everything happens within the context of relationships. Let me be clear. One of the real dangers there is we can become good at faking relationships. Relationships can look really good, but actually be super shallow. So if you don't have a relationship where somebody has been invited to speak truth into your life and you will listen to it no matter how difficult it is, you really don't have relationships. Do you have those relationships? And when somebody calls you on your sin, are you going to respond? So when you get to the the story of Cain, Cain had God standing in front of him and laying out the danger that was headed his way. He had God speaking to him and saying, beware, Cain, it's waiting for you. It wants to gobble you up. If you change, if you do what is right, if you fix your heart, then then you will have grace, you will have mercy, things will go well for you. And, And so Cain had those relationships except for the fact that he was not committed to listen. And sin ends up dominating him. And the very first death 
in the fallen world isn't a death of old age. The very first death in the fallen world is murder. Look at, look at verse 8 with me. Cain asks his brother Abel, let's go to the field, they go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. That is an incredibly sanitized version of murder. Cain commits an act of brutality against his brother Abel. Please remember, there were no guns, there were no bombs. This murder could not have occurred from a distance. Sin had taken Cain to the place where he committed this act of atrocity, this violent murder of his brother with his own hands. And you and I think, man, we could never do that. Never. Look at how enraged you get when people stand in your way of getting what you want. Look at Look at how overcome with emotion you are when somebody gets the attention you think you deserve. Look at the sadness and grief and anguish that flows out of you when you feel like you're not being appreciated enough. Look at what your life looks like when you begin to get upset that God hasn't made enough of you yet, even though your only job is to make much of him. careful. Sin is crouching at the door. And his desire is to destroy you. Deal with it. Don't let your heart relax. Sin is ready to pounce. Deal with it now. Think, think with me for this moment now. Cain kills his brother with his own two hands. What happens next? What happens in those moments that his brother is lying, bleeding to death on the ground? As Cain stands over him, he's not jaded by news stories of war like we are. He's not listening to podcasts about unsolved crimes. He had never, no one had ever seen a dead person. It's murder, death, all, that's all still new to mankind. And yet, Cain is standing over his brother. seeing the blood spill from him. What do you think is going through Cain's head in that moment? I mean, is he, is he paralyzed with fear? Is he paralyzed with disbelief? Did um, a level of guilt start to set in? Maybe a little remorse? Did he just settle on, okay, this, this is justified. But now, now I don't have to deal with it anymore. I've done it. It can't be undone. That's that. That, that seems to be his, his approach. It's done. That's that. I don't ever have to deal with it anymore. And think about it from his perspective. We, we think, well, he's going to get caught. Who's going to catch him? There's no police. There's no courts. There's no executioner. There's no investigators. There's, 
Adam and Eve, but they're probably still reeling in their own guilt. How, what are they going to do about it? Who's, who's going to catch them? Who's going to punish them? Well, verse 8 tells us, <laughs> one of the creepiest verses in all of Scripture. Sorry, it's not verse 8, it's verse 10. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God himself has, has come to Cain, and the blood of Abel has been calling out from the ground for justice, and the voice of, of, of Abel's blood made it to the ear of God. And God shows up, God arrives, and God's going to act justly for Abel's sake, because God can't and won't simply turn his back uh, on the cry for justice, because justice is a part of who God is. Uh, we're told that in Isaiah chapter 30, the Lord is a just God, he doesn't just shrug off injustice like it's no big deal. He needs to respond to the cries of injustice, and so he must act. And God does act. And he gives Cain consequences for his sinful behavior. He is, he's kicked out of the, the area he is caused to leave. Now he has to deal with this personalized struggle as he works with the ground, and the ground constantly fights him. He'll never be able to make what he needs to make from the ground, and now he's going to be forever wandering and never settling. God is a God of justice. He heard the cry of the blood of Abel. And he came to act on Abel's behalf. Cain's response to God's punishment reminds us of how rebellious he is and how non-repentant he is. God lays out the consequences and Cain's response in verse 13 is, it's not fair not fair. What do you mean you're taking my phone? Not fair. What do you mean I can't drive the car? Not fair. I mean, you get to see how, how, okay, so here's the difference. You've got somebody who is hardened to their sin and somebody who is repentant about their sin. The person who is hardened to their sin always says the punishment is too much. It's not fair. The person who is repentant says your mercy is too much. I don't deserve it. And here Cain is this, this hardened man who just says, it's not fair, it is too much, I'll never be able to, 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 to carry the weight of this. As a parent, kids, close your ears for a second, I'm going to let you know to see, look, you talk to your parents, we don't want you to know this. As a parent, the history of parenting, there have been very few times that I wanted to show mercy less than when the kid was like, it's not fair. Oh yeah, we're doubling down then. Right? Parents? Uh-huh. Well, that always works. Tell me how unfair I'm being. But here we get to see something that's kind of startling. Cain is being given a consequence that is completely fair. He cries out that you know you're going to Cause me to wander, I'll have no home. People will know what I did and somebody's going to kill me. And we get to watch God do something. He shows kindness and grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. We're told that's who God is too. Psalm 103 tells us that God is a compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, who abounds in steadfast love. 
hearing Cain's complaint and worry about being murdered, he said, he, God sets a mark on Cain to protect him. And, and that mark isn't a punishing mark. It's not a, a scarlet letter. It's the mark of a covenant that God is making with Cain. It says, I will protect you from your fear. This is something that, that, that has overwhelmed me a little bit. This is God doing in his mercy for someone who is rejecting his mercy. And yet God still acts. That's how gracious God is. And you and I have been invited to experience the same grace. So as you, um, let you in a little behind the scenes secret here. As you work to study through Genesis and you try to figure out how in the world you're going to finish Genesis 1 through 50 before you're 90 years old, and you start doing the reading and research and different things, and you start coming across other verses like, man, actually. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple other times where Cain and Abel are mentioned in Scripture. I think that probably the one that you and I should reflect on most this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 12. So let me ask you to take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Just to give you a little background on Hebrews, and this makes the study of Genesis go even longer when you jump to a different book. Um, the author of Hebrews is, is writing this book in order to help us understand how much better Jesus is than everything else. You, you see that phrase in and out of, of Hebrews as you study it. We're told that, that, that Jesus is better than the angels. He's higher than the angels. We're told that he is a better prophet than Moses himself the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. We're told that he is the better high priest. We're told that he is the better sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, the priests would bring their sacrifice day after day after day after day. They would never be able to sit down because there were so many sacrifices to make for the sin of God's people. And yet Jesus came and gave a single sacrifice for one time that will last forever, and then he sat down. The author of Hebrews says, that's our Jesus. He's better than all of these other things. When you get to Hebrews chapter 12, the author is talking to these people and saying, this is, this is what you have in God's grace. This is what you have been led to. This is what is better than. This is what you are being brought to. And just let me go right to verse 24. He says that you've been led to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Okay, be super honest. First dozen times I read that verse, I'm like, what in the world does that even mean? The blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So let's back it off a little bit. The blood of Abel, we're told in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 4, that after Abel was murdered, his blood was spilled on the ground. The blood of Abel was crying out, and it made its way to the ear of God. And God heard the cry of Abel. What was the cry of the blood of Abel? The cry of the blood of Abel was, I'm just doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was just bringing an offering. I didn't hurt anybody. I was just trying to bring pleasure to my God. I'm innocent. I am blameless before all other people, my entire family, and God himself. Hebrews 11, verse 4, also tells us that, that Abel acted in faith when he brought his, his offering, and yet murdered. Cold blood, 
murdered by his very own brother. So the blood of Abel cries out to the ear of God for vengeance, for justice, for the guilty to be held responsible to pay for his crime. That's the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus says better things than the blood of Abel. Jesus Christ came to rescue the lost and the dying. He he came to redeem mankind from their sin. He was innocent and blameless before all people, before God. And yet, murdered by the very people he came to save. The only truly perfect man who was more than a man, he was God in flesh, was murdered by the people he came to rescue. His blood was shed in an act of gruesome violence. His blood poured out from the cross. And his blood most certainly could cry out the exact same as Abel's. Vengeance! Justice! Hold the guilty responsible! But as the author of Hebrews tells us, it speaks such a better message. Because the blood of Jesus cried out, not against us, but for us. It doesn't demand vengeance. It doesn't demand that we be eternal wanderers until we ultimately find our place in hell. While the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance and justice, the blood of Christ cries out for mercy and for grace. Justice has been satisfied. Let me me try to do this. I I have confused this. I actually cut it out of my notes completely because I've messed it up every time I've tried to explain it, so buckle up. Um, That's why 1 John 1.9 is so powerful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why 1 John 1.9 is so powerful. I don't know about you, um, my early Christian life, there were times where yeah, I, I, just, I just allowed my sinful behavior to win time and time again. I would go into God's presence and I'd be like, Lord, I need your forgiveness, and you almost feel like you're ducking. Please don't hit me too hard. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And particularly when it's a repeated sin, I think you go into his presence thinking at some point I'm going to reach the end of his mercy. Maybe I'm the only one that deals with repeated sin. You can pray for me. What makes 1 John 1.9 so incredibly powerful? So it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, which means he will continue to do it. And he is just. to forgive us our sins. How how is he showing justice by forgiving our sins? Well, in America, we have this terminology in the courts called double jeopardy. You can't be accused of the same crime twice. 
can't pay for the penalty of the same crime twice. So the beauty of the blood of Jesus Christ crying out for us and not against us is that what the blood of Jesus Christ is saying to the Father is, Father, give that one justice. But wait, I thought I wanted grace. Oh, you do? But because Christ has already paid the full price of our sins, justice looks like God's forgiveness for us. Full, clear, and complete. So, so, so the blood of Jesus Christ says better things than the blood of Abel. You know what the blood of Jesus Christ is crying out? Oh, and praise God it made it to the ears of the Father. Father, forgive them. Justice demands that a blood penalty be paid for sin. If you are in Jesus Christ, that blood penalty has been paid forever and in full. But if you're not in Jesus Christ, someone has to pay the penalty. The only option besides yourself is Christ. Will you pay your own penalty? When Christ has made the offer to pay it for you, why would you reject His mercy? If you are sitting here this morning and you are not in Christ right now, you are going to make a choice. It's either on His tab or on yours. What are you going to do with Jesus? Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can experience forgiveness full and free in him. God, I do beg you that the people who are here this morning who don't know Christ as Savior would make that choice, would make that decision to trust in him and in him alone. Father, I pray that they would understand the mercy with which you reach out to them. Father, I pray that they would, they would understand that in that final day, the justice needs to be met. And so, God, I ask that they would lean on you, that your blood would cover their sin, that they would cry out real simply, Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my payment. Jesus, be my peace. Lord, for those here who, who know you because of what Christ did for them, remind us of what the blood of Christ purchased for us. Remind us of the mercy that is ours, the forgiveness that is ours. Remind us, <laughs> remind us how much you love us. And may we wash in it. Thank you for the blood of Christ. It's in the name of our Savior, I pray. Amen.